the Lord is my shepherd this morning. Aren't you? Aren't you thankful for that? And I am. I want to say I'm thankful for you today. I'm thankful that you are here and to get to be here with you. And I want to say to the people who are listening by live stream, I'm thankful that you're listening wherever you are today. Turn with me to the book of First Samuel again, chapter 17. We're revisiting the story of David and Goliath as we continue in the series, Goliath Must Fall, the giants that need to come down in our lives. Today, we're focusing on passage verses 32 through 37, uh, 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came, he took a lamb from the flock. I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by its jaw and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I got to do something really fun this last Monday on Labor Day. I got to go with our oldest daughter, Emily Tate, and her best friend, Darby, to Atlanta to see the Braves play the Red Sox. Uh, Emily Tate and I are big Atlanta Braves fans, and her best friend, Darby, is a huge Boston Red Sox fan, so we just kind of had to go, you know. It was a lot of fun. That's a first my first time in that new stadium, and we had a great, even though the Braves lost, okay, we still had a good time. I have, I just love baseball. I, I have always loved baseball. Some of my earliest memories is when I was just a little bitty boy being at my grandparents' house, and my Pawpaw Coker was a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan, and he would take the radio and put it in the middle of the kitchen table and crank the volume all the way up because he was hard of hearing. He cranked the volume all the way up, and it would drive my grandmother crazy. She'd go to the other end of the house and close all the doors, but not me. I was right there because I loved baseball, even enough to listen to it on the radio. And I loved to play it. I would play with other kids. I, if I didn't have anybody else to play baseball with, anybody to play catch with, I'd take a rubber baseball, and I would bounce it against the side of the house, or I would throw it up on the roof and let it come down and pretend I was chasing fly balls. Just loved it. And played it as a kid. I played in Dixie Youth Baseball. I don't know if you'll have that around here. Maybe it's just Little League or Pony League or something. But it was Dixie Youth where I grew up. Played it. Loved it. But then by the time I entered high school, I, I was concentrating more on football, I guess. I, for some reason, I didn't go out for the high school games. Not my freshman year and not my sophomore year. But my junior year, I thought, you know, I really want to make the most out of this, so I'm going to go out for the baseball team. And I remember tryouts. I can, I can see it in my mind now. We, we got to the ball field, and uh, Coach Phillips counted us, and 
there were 18 of us, and I saw him rub his chin a little bit. Now, 18 is an important number. Remember that. It's going to come up later in the story. But there were 18 of us, and at first he said, okay, you guys warm up, so pair up somebody. And so we paired up somebody to play catch with to kind of warm up, and he would walk behind us and see what kind of arm we had, so we would try to burn each other out, you know, playing catch. And and then it was time to, to split the infielders and the outfielders up. So the outfielders went out in the outfield, and one of the coaches hit fly balls to us to see what kind of basic skills we had. And then and then the infielders took ground balls in the infield. And um, So I was with the outfielders, and I did pretty well with the fly balls as long as they came to me. If I had to chase them down, we had some trouble here because it may come as a shock to you, but I am not known for my blazing speed. So I had, you know, as long as they were coming to me, I'd catch them. And then it was time to bat. Um, the batting didn't go so well because I found out that high school pitchers throw a lot harder than Dixie youth age pitchers. And so I, fou- I fouled off a couple of fastballs. And I had major trouble with the curveball. I mean, I had some really ugly, ugly swings at the curveball. Just, it was bad. So then it was all over with, and Coach called us all together and said, okay, I want, I want you all to, to run two laps around the ball field, all the way around the fence. And, and then I'm going, unfortunately, two of you have got to go because there's 18 of you. We only have 16 slots for the roster. And so um, two of you are going to have to get cut. So off we go running our laps. And I was running with a guy named Sonny because he was about the same speed as me, slow. So uh, Sonny and I are with the fast guys are in front of us. You know, we come around and we get our first lap and we come right around by the home team dugout. And coach calls me and Sonny over and he he says, boys, uh, I hate to do this, but you two are going to get cut from the team. We just, we can't keep everybody, and y'all are getting cut. I'm sorry. And we said, I don't know. We said, okay, or I don't remember what we said. Wasn't much to say. And Sonny turned and started walking to his car, but I ran my other lap. I don't know why. I ran my, my lap. I like to think of it as the lap of rejection. still remember what it felt like running just me and rejection running our lap I wonder if you ever spent much time running with rejection some of you might feel like rejection's your constant companion maybe even since you were a kid maybe you never felt loved as a kid or you your parents went through a divorce and really did a number on you or maybe maybe you were the one that that had the tough breakup or a divorce yourself and or maybe you maybe you tried to get a job and you really thought you deserved that job and somebody else got it instead of you and maybe you just kind of have a general feeling that you're you don't really stack up against everybody else maybe you were the one when they picked the kickball team that you were the last one picked and they even picked the guy on crutches before they picked you rejection thing about rejection is it it really hurts it stings it it is something that we all either we 
faced it or we continually face it or we will face it, it's part of the human condition. Rejection was something that Jesus faced. Jesus, I don't know if you remember that, but Jesus faced rejection. It was prophesied in Isaiah 53 when the prophet Isaiah was talking about the coming Messiah. And here's what he said. He said, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. This was predicted about the Messiah. It was fulfilled in Jesus' life because he was despised and rejected. The people who despised and rejected him were the ones who arrested him and who beat him and who nailed him to a cross. The apostle Peter preached about that when he and John were arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin when they healed the crippled man. And they were asked about how in the world they could do this. And Peter said this, he said, well, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man, talking about the guy who was now able to walk, stands before you today healed. He, Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected which has become the capstone or the chief cornerstone he's the stone that the builders rejected Jesus would use that phrase to talk about himself after he told the parable in Matthew 21 the parable about the vineyard owner who sent his own son to collect the fruit from the vineyard and the tenants instead of giving the son of the vineyard owner, the fruit, they kicked him out of the vineyard and they killed him. And then Jesus said these words to the Pharisees. He said, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus was quoting from Psalm 118. That great psalm that has so many different recognizable verses in it one of them is this is the day that the lord has made i will rejoice and be glad in it one is hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord psalm 118 that that great psalm that people were waving palm branches and quoting as jesus rode into jerusalem hosanna in the highest blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord those same voices that would later be saying crucify him give us barabbas rejection the stone that the builders rejected and then when they did crucify him jesus quoted another psalm psalm 22 as he hung on the cross he said my god my god why have you forsaken me how deep was the rejection that Jesus felt at that moment as deep as it gets. David experienced rejection. The hero of our story, David, experienced rejection from three different people just in this story. First, he was rejected by his his own brother, Eliab, the oldest brother. We talked about this thing last week when the giant was in the valley yelling insults at Israel's army defying them, taunting them. 
And David had come to bring food for his brother. He had three brothers who were in the army. He came to bring food for them, and he overheard the giant. He overheard Goliath down there, and he said, Who does that guy think he is to defy the armies of the living God? Something's got to be done. And he was ready to go and fight Goliath. And his older brother was furious at him. He was so mad. And furious. here's what he said in verse 28 of 1 Samuel 17. Eliab saying this to David. Why did you come? Why have you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you've come down just to see the battle. Can you hear the accusing tone in that? Can you feel the disdain that he has just dripping from his voice at his brother? What are you doing here? You little runt. What are you doing here? You're, not, you're supposed to be taking care of the sheep. I know the evil intent of your heart. You're, you're just coming to try to take credit from us. Why don't you go home and leave the fighting to the big boys? And then King Saul himself rejected David as a champion. They brought, they brought David before the king, and the king took one look at him and said, you're not able to go and fight this Philistine. You're just a boy. He's been a warrior from his youth. You can't do it. You're not enough. And then finally, Goliath rejected David as a worthy opponent, didn't he? When he saw David coming to fight him, he said in verse 42, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Goliath was saying, this is supposed to be the Super Bowl, and you're sending me the third string peewee quarterback. Come on now. So rejection after rejection after rejection just, just pummeled against David. And after a while, that can take a toll on a person, can't it? When we run with rejection as our companion, we sometimes head down dead-end streets. I want to talk about two of those dead-end streets today. One I would call Insecurity Street. Insecurity Street. For people who walk down this street have these kind of things going on in their head. You're not good enough. You're, you're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not handsome enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not successful enough. You're not a good enough parent. You're not enough. You get the idea looping around in their head. What a miserable street that is, insecurity street. Or maybe instead, you're going down perfectionism avenue. Um, rejection might send you down that street. It may be that instead of responding to rejection by insecurity, you, you were responded in a way that you have to prove to everybody that you're good enough and that you have to be the best and you have to be the most successful. You have to have the highest grade. You have to prove everybody wrong and you're driven and you're driven and you're driven. And even if you reach the top, you still don't feel any better. You still feel rejected because these are dead-end streets. They're dead-end streets because they point to a life that lives for acceptance, for approval, there's an old saying that goes like this. If we live for people's approval, we will die by their rejection. 
I think the key to seeing the giant of rejection come down is to realize the difference between living for acceptance and living from acceptance. Living for acceptance is when people strive to be accepted because of what they do. If I'm just good enough, if I'm just strong enough, if I'm just whatever enough, if I, if I jump through all of the hoops like I'm supposed to, maybe then I'll be accepted only if I can do all of that. What a, what a lousy conditional way to relate to others, that kind of way of thinking is. Living for acceptance. If you have that relationship with your parents, it's, it's the, well, if I'm a good boy, then mom will love me. Or if, I, or if I make the first string quarterback, my dad will be proud of me. Living for acceptance. If you have that kind of relationship with, with someone else, your spouse or, or your, your boss at work, if you, if you feel like you have to be the top salesperson of the month in order to be noticed at work, it's always for acceptance. And as bad as it is to live that way in relationship with others, it's even worse to live in relationship with God that way. So many religious people think that that's what God wants. If I just do all the right things, if I just avoid doing all the wrong things, if I just follow the right rituals, say the right words, sing the right songs, then maybe God will love and accept me. Maybe. That's for acceptance. But the giant doesn't fall by a life that lives for acceptance. The giant falls when we start living from acceptance. You see, David was able to run down into that valley because instead of listening to the voices of his older brother or King Saul or Goliath or anybody else, he was listening to the voice of his heavenly father who had already accepted him, who had already chosen him before he ever put a rock That's how Jesus began his ministry. Do you remember when he came to be baptized by John? And he was baptized and he came up out of the water and the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you remember that moment in Scripture? But remember that at that point in time, Jesus had never preached a sermon. Jesus had never done a single miracle. He had never walked on water. He had never raised the dead. He'd never done any of that. And he was going to do all of that and more. But he was not doing it for acceptance. He was doing it from acceptance because God was already claiming him as his beloved son. He was already well pleased with him. So the Goliath of rejection comes down when we remember these three things, when we remember who we are, that we are God's masterpiece, when we remember that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he made us on purpose with a purpose, when we remember, secondly, whose we are, that 
God has already claimed us for, before the foundation of the world. He's already claimed us. He's already chosen us. He picked us. So we remember who we are and whose we are. And the third is we remember what we are worth. Because, you know, rejection makes you just feel worthless. But what is something worth? What is anything worth, really? Anything is worth what someone is willing to pay for it, right? What someone is willing to pay for it. What was God willing to pay for us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You are worth Jesus, God. That's what you're worth. The giant of rejection makes us feel like we're about this high. But remembering who we are and whose we are and what we're worth makes us feel 10 feet tall. Sometimes I wish that I could go back and run the lap of rejection all over again. Because I think as I jog around that field, I would like to have said some things to rejection. I would have liked to remind rejection who I am. I am the son of the king. I'm God's masterpiece. He made me. I would like to remind rejection whose I am. I'd like to remind rejection that I belong to him. Coach Phillips didn't pick me, but God did. And then I would like to remind rejection that I am so valuable to God. He gave everything for me. He gave everything for me. He didn't even spare his own son. So take that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Help us just to remember when we feel like a loser. Help us to remember that you have called us your sons and daughters, chosen ones, the apple of your eye. Number 480, a love 